Hey, this is Jay Mace. Welcome to another edition of the Time Machine Archives right here on Beyond the Album Cover. Another interview I have for you is with Mr. Maurice Starr. Yes, you heard me right. That Mr. Maurice Starr. He discovered New Edition, created New Kids on the Block, Perfect Gentleman, Five Young Men, and everything else in between. Now, this was a rare interview because Maurice rarely gave any interviews so this was conducted around the summer of 2007 2008 he talks about everything from his upbringing his rise in the music industry the discovery of new edition the fallout after that creation nuke is on the block the phenomenon perfect gentleman and the group that he was working on at the time the heartbeat boys so sit back relax and enjoy this rare interview with the general mr maurice Starr right here on Beyond the Album Cover. Hey everybody, this your boy Jay Mason inside the Time Machine on WUAG 103.0 FM. Playing the best in new and old school hip-hop, R&B, and everything else in between. With me on the phone right now, I have Maurice Starr, the man responsible for discovering new addition and creating the late 80s, early 90s teen pop group, New Kids on the Block. Mr. Starr, welcome to the Time Machine. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's no problem. We have a rare treat on our hands. The man responsible for creating two generations worth of pop and R&B groups. Hey, brother, I'm very honored and uh, very honored. All right. Now, the top and the bottom. Go mm-hmm. ahead. Now, tell the people <laughs> out there, when did you get your start with music? When did you first fall in love with it? I, I think I, I fell in love with music even before I realized I was falling in love with it. But it came at the time my mother was pregnant. Uh, my father told her that she was going to have six boys, and uh, they were all going to play music. And actually, she was used to put her belly to the piano and play the piano. So, and then when we came out, we were infants. I tell people all the time, they say, when did you start playing? I say, I don't remember. I don't know. And don't know what to say. So, it started long before I realized it started. Mm. And not too many people noticed that you were an artist at one point in time, correct? I was an artist, but the reason they don't remember I was an artist because, unfortunately, I never had a hit as an artist. Everybody else had them. Mm-hmm. So I guess God wanted me to be the man with the plan and behind the plan and behind the scene and making it all happen. Right. That's why they call me the general today. Mm-hmm. The and man, they get the job done. Right. And your brother, Michael Johnson, came out with a group called the Johnson Crew. They had hits such as Pat Jam, We Are the Johnson mm. Crew, Space oh, Cowboy. Yeah. And then the video yeah. for We Are the Johnson Crew, Bobby Brown was breaking in the video. Oh, Bobby Brown used to love to be a part of anything, whatever was going on. He says, Mo, count me in. And uh, sometimes I had to count him out because he always was fighting with everybody else. <laughs> right. right. Now, explain to me the Hollywood talent night where you first got the look of New Edition, which was the next generation's Jackson 5. Okay, well, New Edition came from the Hollywood talent night. Of course, it started with the Hollywood talent night, which is very special, near and dear to me. But what happened is I was uh, somebody asked me to do a talent show in the ghetto at uh, Parker Street Lounge, a little club called Parker Street Lounge. I saw all these little kids singing and dancing, and I said, wow, I need to put me a kid group together. And so I said, I want a group like the Jackson 5. So I, I created a show called the Hollywood Talent Night, and guess who walked up? It was four guys at the time. Uh, it was uh, Ronnie wasn't, wasn't there. It was everybody else, I think, uh, what was it, Ricky, Mike? Ricky, Mike, Ralph, and Bobby. Ra- Ralph and Bobby. And they sung for me the first time I actually turned them down. But then they say, well, listen to them do one more song. And that's when they did the song, uh, the Jackson Fire song, 
ABC. So I said, hmm, I need to go home and write a song like that. I wrote the song Candy Girl. I had them come up to my studio. They sung it, and the rest, as they say, is history. Is history. Mm-hmm. Now, who came in first place in that talent show? Because New Edition came in second. New Edition came in second. A fellow named Tino Payne came in first place. Of course, he never became famous, but he did come in first place. Mm-hmm. Now, just like just like the girl with Justin Timberlake, she uh, they taunt him sometimes. They say he lost on uh, oh, what's that shit with Star Search. Man? Star Search, and Justin won second place, and, uh, but the girl never made it. She went out and, you know, ate a bunch of cookies and got real fat, and, you know, Justin became a sex symbol. Right. Now, explain to me the period of recording Candy Girl and the uh, magnitude that that record had, because it, it was getting played in Boston, but little did anybody know that it was getting played everywhere else. Well, it, it was a song that, that, from the second I wrote it, I say, this could be a big hit record. I felt like it was a hit, even though a lot of people I took it to, you know, was like, I don't know, I don't know, even my friends thought I had lost my mind. There wasn't any kid groups out, so I went to a radio station. I said, I want you to play this and just see what comes back. They played it, and only 50% of the people really liked it. I was like, that's weird. <laughs> so, uh, but after a while, we took it, put it out, it caught on. When it caught on in New York, it was over. We almost went gold in New York alone. Wow. So uh, it had a, you know, a widespread appeal. Of course, then we took it into London. The rest of the world was number one all over the world. Yeah, it was a big record. Definitely. It still sell to this day. It was uh, part of Laffy Taffy. That record is probably sold close to 20 million copies today. Mm-hmm. It won't stop selling. No, it won't, because um, it also be noted, too, they signed the record deal with Streetwise Records, which is an indie label out of Boston, correct? No, Streetwise Records was an indie label. Most of what you say is correct. Uh, it was an indie label out of New York. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't own it, but it was just uh, it was uh, just a label out of New York City. Right, and then of course um, they had said in the contract they offered them like I believe it was five hundred dollars with with, with well, the contract. They say they were offered five hundred dollars. I, to be honest with you, I'm not sure what they were offered because they had their own lawyers who did their deal. Some people say I did their deal, but that's the untruth part about the industry. That's not true. Okay, okay. We definitely said... I actually had, actually had nothing to do with their deal, but go ahead. Okay, we definitely said the record straight with this. Now, Candy Girl blew up mm-hmm. 83, and then tell me about that first tour. First tour was a great tour. The guys had fun. They loved the... Uh, girls screaming at him, and uh, actually, I was just out there learning more and more myself. Mm-hmm. Now, the story comes in, tour's over, they get off the tour, and they get the checks, and it's a dollar and 87 cents. Now- see, that's not true again. Well, for, first of all, by the time they got off the tour, uh, I wasn't even there at that point. I was just there probably the first Realistically, the first, I created the group in probably the first three months. The rest of that tour was handled and led by a guy named Travis Gresham and another guy named Brooke Payne, which is, uh, which is Ronnie's cousin. People say that I took them on tour and at the end I gave them a check for $1.87. But that's a very untrue. I wasn't there at the end of the tour and I never gave New Edition a check in my life because, uh, uh, they had booking agents that gave them checks. They had record companies. I didn't own the record company, so I never had any of their money. Right. So, um, so but, but but it's said that I had all of their money. Mm-hmm. 
But the real truth of the matter is I didn't have any of it. Right, because the question that's been riding you for a long time, a lot of people have been accusing you of taking their money. And exactly. actuality, exactly. you haven't. So we're definitely going to set the record straight. Now, do you have any idea who may have took their money during that Absolutely. period? Absolutely. I know and they know. But they don't want to talk about it, and I don't blame them. Okay. They're not nice guys. Okay. <laughs> They're not nice guys. And I, I'm not mad at them for not wanting to say, because it w it was easier for, i tell you what, the guys, how it all began, I was in an office one day with some guys, and, and they said it was a newspaper. One was the Boston Herald, which is a racist paper, so I can talk about it. Um, and they were discussing with the new people who did take new edition money, uh, who were not nice guys. But uh, they said, if anybody get in our way, we're going to tear them down. And actually, I have a movie that's going to be coming out that's going to tell the real true story. And uh, then people will get a chance. And so they can finally stop saying, Maurice took these guys' money and ripped them off. Okay. Yeah, and then it was also around 84, 85, you know, they left Streetwise to go to MCA. And it was a nasty court battle, I believe. You guys are in court, I think, trying to assume over the name. Now, clear that up. Right. Right. Well, the thing of it is, a lot of people think that New Edition took me to court. And if that was the case, if I would have took their money, they would have took me to court. But New Edition never brought me to court. I actually took them to court because I didn't get paid. I didn't get paid, and the um, and the uh, name at the time I had on the name. So I, I absolutely. But that was a story for another day with a bunch of other uh, cutthroat people in the industry, such as uh, the Clive Davises and people. So I'm going to leave them alone right now. Okay. And so I became the fall guy to a lot of people. But it, it's okay with me, you know. I kept going. I created new kids. Then people checked my record out and found out it wasn't nothing but a big lie, and I went on to discover the biggest group in the world. Then I've since then I worked from P. Diddy to Little Romeo to Bow Wow to Trina. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Okay. Venus and Serena father, so Jackie Chan, I promote him, so... It hasn't hurt me at all. I said I got the number two record in the country right now with Big Face. Okay. So it, it hasn't. What they said or what whoever said whoever said it never hurt me. I probably had another two or three hundred hit records since then. Right. And uh, with the whole court thing, they were talking about you know getting VCRs this that and the third. Now that's over with. They're going to MCA. Tell me about your thought process like after that whole bitter, nasty breakup with New Edition and then the creation of New Kids. Well, actually, after, after that, I kind of I kind of quit the business. And uh, and then I came back. I said, nah, I'm not a sucker. I'm not a quitter. So I said, I'm going to make a comeback. And I'm going to come back with the biggest group in the history of the business. I'm going to take me five white kids and do what I did with them black kids. And uh, and we're gonna blow this thing up. Right now, a lot that's of that's what I did. Right, a lot of people saying that this was out of revenge of what went down with New Edition. Now, what was the true vision of no, New Kids? No, no, no. I, I never, you know, I, I would be lying to you if I said I was not pissed at New Edition. I mean, New Edition, I have talked about that. And um, but uh, I, I don't think I'm not a guy who carry that type of stuff on my shoulder. When I'm into something, I'm, I got my mind on what I'm doing. So, no, it was not out of revenge. Okay. Uh, I mean, matter of fact, uh, within that time, me and Michael Bivens got together. We had some meetings, and uh, we said we're going to work very closely together. I, to this day, I probably did two or three albums with uh, 
that me and Michael Bivens executive produced together. I had several meetings. With, we did the Tom Joyner show together. Tom Joyner thought that these guys hated me. I said, Tom, I came here with them. So, no, today they're probably my closest friends in the entertainment business. Mm. So, uh, no, it's nothing like what people think. People think the direct opposite. Mm. So it was just basically blown way out of proportion. It, it was, and even with the TV show, uh, New Edition asked me to be a part of it. Otherwise, I'd have never been on the show. They say, they ask us who was special to us and what friends. I say, Michael, I'll do this show only on one condition. If you all finally clear up all of that craziness about me taking the money. He says, okay, we'll do that. But they didn't do it. Okay. They did, it, it still was left unsolved. But if you, if you notice, Michael Bivens did say one thing. He did say it, and we don't know who took the money. Because that, that means somebody asked him, did Maurice Starr take your money? But you just didn't see that part. But if you notice, if you look at that film, Michael Bivens says, we don't know who took our money. Well, and there's a reason why he said that. Like I say, it was bad guys who really took it. And I don't blame him for saying that. I probably would say it too. And they're not trying to get in any more lawsuits because right. they know I'm not going to sue them because they're my friends. So they know I'm fine. They're not worried about me. Who they're worried about is some guys who really did take it. They think they'll sue their pants off. Right. Now, tell me about Mary Alford. She was the main person helping you during the New Kids auditions. Absolutely. Very good friend. Mary Alford at this time is um, is not doing well. She has terminal cancer. And um, very good friend of mine. Yeah, she's a hard worker, young white lady, and uh, she's just a really good person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sad, sad to hear. We definitely keep her and her family in our prayers here on the time machine. Right. Now, um, Donnie was the first new kid to get picked, right? Donnie was the first person, but he wasn't the first new kid. First new kid was Mark Wahlberg. Okay. Marky Mark, kids. Marky Mark. That oh. was the first kid. Donnie said, I got a brother because I was trying to put the group together. I said, we need younger kids. I said, you know any kid about 11 or 12 years old? He said, well, my little brother's 11 or 12. I said, well, let's go meet him. I woke him up in the bed. I said, kid, how would you like to be a star? I said, what's his name again? He said, Mark Wahlberg. I said, okay. Of course, he's the big star now that was up for an Oscar recently. Yeah, and I just saw Donnie on. Uh, he has his own new TV show. So, yeah, I got them all started. Okay. Now, who was next to come after Donnie? Was it Jordan? Uh, wow, now you're going back on me. I really don't remember who who came, when, what, and where. Because I think a lot of them came around the same time. We put a couple of guys out. I remember one kid named Jamie. He was um, he was in, and then his mother was like, nah, we can't take this serious. So she took him out, and uh, the group became famous, and uh, he ended up on the tabloids. Okay. Uh, with some uh, problems. Okay, and then after Jamie left, that's when you went ahead and got Joey McIntyre. That's right, young Joey. Okay, and I believe, you know, he was like the last bunch, so he was like, I think, what, 11 or 12 years old? Yeah, he was about 12. 12? Joey was the last one. He was about 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And the oldest was like 16. John was the oldest, right? Yeah, John was the oldest. He was about 16 years old. So um, tell me about the early years of the new kids, and how did you come up with the name Nine Nook? Well, not look, I don't know. I was I got a friend named Arthur Baker. He always come up with crazy names and and uh I said, Let me come up with something crazy, it might work. So I said, Nanook. So when I took it to um, the record company, 
the guy, uh, what's his name, Lockin' Arnold, say, nine nuts. He said, man, he said, you got a song on here called New Kids on the Block. He said, why don't you call him that? So next thing I did is got a copy, I copywrited the name. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I said, okay. So I came back and I told the guys, I said, hey, your new name is New Kids on the Block. That's what the record company want to call you. Right. And then was back in 86, the debut album came out. Be My Girl got play up in Boston but disappeared from radio airways. And then the first album right. didn't do so well sales-wise. Now, explain that period when the first album didn't go well and you and the late Dick Scott went up to the brass at Columbia to say, okay, we want to do a second album, which came to be Hanging Tough. Well, well Dick Scott was didn't go up to the label with me. I know a lot of people wrote that Dick Scott did this and he did that. Well, Dick Scott is no longer with us, and unfortunately he can't defend himself. But uh, he defended himself pretty well when he was alive. <laughs> but, uh, uh, no, he wasn't with me. I went up there with the kids. I went to the top brass. Okay. And uh, told them that, you know, this thing can be big. We just need you guys to get behind it. And they pretty much say, well, we're thinking about kicking you off. So I said, okay. <laughs> so, uh but anyway, they got rid of some, they had a shake-up in the label, and some other fellas came in, uh, got a higher position. They kicked out Larkin Arnold, the guy that I knew, the guy who got us up and going. And so Cecil Holmes, they uh, gave him a chance, and he was the guy who got us got us up and going. Okay. Now, where did the inspiration for Please Don't Go Girl come from? Please Don't Go Girl was just a song that I wrote. I always liked the Jackson 5 sound, and I think it came from the song Got to Be There by the Jackson 5. Um, that's where I kind of got that from. Okay, because it was believed that the record in, in the beginning wasn't really picking up, but then a pop station out of Tampa started picking it up, and then it started to grow like wildfire. Yeah. Wow, you do your homework, I tell you. That is correct. A pop say Hot 105. And Tampa picked it up and um, uh, got it going. Actually, they had saw a video on BET that I did on video vibrations with Alvin Jones. <laughs> video. And uh, with Alvin Jones, yeah. 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 And so um, uh, I called Alvin up and uh, had him. And at the time, the person in charge of all programs, Alvin's boss, was a woman that runs Sister Sister now, uh, Jamie Foster Brown. So I asked Jamie and Alvin to come on up to Boston, and that's when, when my relationship with Alvin Jones and Jamie Foster Brown began. And so they said, we like them, we like to play them, and, and uh, they took it back to BET, and they started playing it. So the guy from Tampa Hot 105, he saw it, and and he couldn't believe it. He thought that black kids, he, he, just, he saw these white kids, but he thought they sounded like black kids. And uh, he took the record to start playing it. It became number one on the station. So he called uh, the radio station, I mean the uh, record company, CBS in New York, told one of the guys, hey, man, I think y'all got a hit on your hands. Right. And the guy at the record label had never heard of New Kids on the Block. He says, who? He said, y'all got an artist named New Kids called New Kids on the Block that I believe got a number one record. The guy said, the guy in promotion at CBS said, we ain't got no artist called New Kids on the Block. He said, well, I'm sitting here looking at the label that say Columbia Records. And it said, just released. He mm. said, oops, there's my fuel tank. But anyway, um, it, it was just released, and um, uh, it, it was just released, and that's when, um, uh, uh, one second. Mm. Okay. Yeah. 
So what was the last question? Okay, it was like the record. It was very R&B. Now tell me about the the first version of the Please Don't Go Girl video with Dad in the Snow. Okay, now one more second. All right. All right. Sorry about that. Okay. Where were we? All right. The first vision. The first version of Please Don't Go Girl in the Snow. Tell me about that. The first version of Please Don't Go Girl. The video. The one that was played on BET. The video was uh, done at a friend of mine's house. Good uh, name Larry Wu. And, uh, of course, I wrote the treatment and was one of the producers. I co-produced it with a producer out of um, L.A. I forget Ken's last name. But um, he did a great job, and he was, I don't know how it came about. He wanted to do it. He says, okay, yeah, I can help you. And uh, we shot it. Mm-hmm. And um, and we got it on BET. Mm-hmm. And it was, during that period, they started performing on Apollo and Soul Train and going to Apollo doing the white stuff. They did their thing. Oh, yeah. they. Uh, we got with Hal Jackson, uh, who does the Talented Teens in New York. And Hal always had, he had a radio show. We did his radio show on WBLS, which he still has it today. And so after we did Hal's show, he wanted us to, uh, he booked us in the Apollo Theater. He said, I think you all will do well there. So we took the kids over there, and they brought the house down. And they were just going, go, white boys, go, white boys. And um, it, it, it was definitely a good thing. Mm. Yeah, and by the time they went on tour to become the open act with Tiffany, Please Don't Go Girl went to the top ten. Definitely. It was a top ten song, and um, that was the beginning of... Uh, uh, that that was our lift off into the number one position. That one hit top ten, and I think the next three or four went number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I either I think let me see who it was, it was the second one. The right stuff. I think it was mm-hmm. three. Then uh, I'll be loving you forever went to number one. Then okay. we started having the number one. Ten, three, one, 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 one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now explain to me. I read this on the website that I'll be loving you forever was intended for Smokey Robinson. I was going to uh, definitely let ask Smokey to do that. I ended up producing Smokey Robinson as well. Okay. But I never mentioned that to him. Okay. Right. And, um, okay, Hank and Tough blew up and... Okay, one more. Hold that thought. Okay, go ahead. Okay, Hank and Tough was blowing up and then 1990 hits, step by step. Now, what was your thing when, like, okay, Hank and Tough is here, then, st- then going to the studio to make step by step? Okay, mention that one more time. Okay, what was your feeling when, okay, coming off of Hanging Tough, it's a success, it's a phenomenon, and then they're going to the studio to record step-by-step? I think going to the studio to record step-by-step was one where we were really eager because of the success coming off of the Hanging Tough album. We wanted to just really knock it out again and do a great job, and that's what we did uh, step-by-step. Uh, I believe that if it didn't debut number one, it just stayed there once it got there. Mm. Um, so that that was, we were still hungry. <laughs> and uh, when you're hungry, you make things happen. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And um, I believe Danny and Jordan, they had, and Donnie, they had some associate production credits on Hang Tough and Step by Step. Because you can see the progression from the first album to Hanging Tough to Step by Step. Now, you can correct me on this. I heard that Step by Step was recorded by another group from Boston. Then New Kids heard it and then made it theirs. 
Well, no, no, I picked all the music. But another group from, you're right about one thing. The beginning of what you say is 100% right. Another group did it called the Superiors. The Superiors did Step by Step. They were assigned them to Motown Records. So they, they did do it first. And then, uh, of course, I always knew it was a hit. So I said, let me take this to new kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, hey, guys, I want to record this record on you. They said, okay. And... Uh, that it became a number one record for him. Right, and it became a smash. Now, tell me about the group Perfect Gentleman, which your son was in. Perfect Gentleman, uh, I always wanted a hit record with my kids. So I asked my son, did he want to be in a group? He said, yeah. I said, okay, I'm going to call you a Perfect Gentleman. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And uh, I'm going to write this song called Ooh, Ooh La La. So um, they did it. It came, I prayed it. Up to the top, I said, Lord, just take that thing top ten. And it went top ten in some, a lot of areas, number one. And on, that was on the pop charts, and I was very happy of that. Mm-hmm. And then they came out with the single, One More Chance. And listen to that single. It's definitely good R&B pop. And um, you had this other kid named Rick West, correct? That's correct. All right, tell me a little bit about Rick West. Rick was uh, Rick was a guy who had a look like Elvis. And my goal was to make him a 17-year-old Elvis. Uh, I kind of fell short on that one, but I sure gave it the old college try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, n- nothing beats a failure but a try. There you go. Yeah, now, how did you come up with the nickname The General? General, my brother Calvin, was uh, like, hey, you know, Elvis had the uh, colonel, and um, I said, well, Calvin, what's the next one highest? I don't want to be a colonel. He said, that would be a general. He said, the general is high as you can get. I said, well, that's what I need to be. And he said, yeah, you are the general. So my brother Calvin gave me that name. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it was at that period, Step by Step was blowing up. And then, like, I've seen old clippings of um, TV shows where you were walking around with a general suit on. That's correct. You know, you were playing the part to the T. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You um, And I'll be back, general will be back again with, when I put out my new act called The Heartbeat Boys. So, uh... So, yeah, the general, I had to play the part. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Now, did you think, like, the guys were sort of like, you know what I mean, uh, okay, you can kind of tone it down with the general suit a bit? Well, well, they, they say that. I know John says something like that. I saw it on TV. Um, well, you know, that's like telling Don King, hey, uh, 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 that's like Mike Tyson saying, Don, can you, like, you know, cut your hair down? I mean, what it is is what it is. I was the general. I was the man getting the job done. You know, basically, he was a guy uh, carrying water to people before I met him. And uh, so that he became a multi-multi-millionaire, a big-time real estate kingpin today. Mm. You know, it came from the millions that I was able to help him make and put that glass down and, and, and you know, the waitress apron down. I mean, waiter, excuse me. Mm. And so uh, if he didn't like that, I this, that doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. It was, I was the general, and loving every second of it. Right, and it was around 92, they did the No More Games remix album. Then around 93, they went and started recording Face the Music, and this was the first project where we, you weren't really involved with that record. Well, yeah, all the records I did with them, I don't think anything I did with them so less than $6 million. Every song I did with them was a hit. Every album I did was a platinum album, not gold, but platinum many times. Mm-hmm. It's gold platinum is twice as big as gold. So I didn't even I don't didn't have one gold record with New Kids on the Block. 
Uh, all the songs I wrote for him were hits. All the shows I did for him were hits. Everything I did for him uh, hit, you know, actually it broke records. They hold the, um, all the promotions broke all the records. All the uh, merchandise broke all the records. So as long as they were with me, they, they were breaking records every day. The day that they, they left and they did the song uh, Face the Music, album did not sell at all. They never had another hit. Right, because um, you definitely had the mightiest touch because it was around that period. I mean, you couldn't go nowhere without anything New Kids, dolls, papers, buttons, just anything and everything New Kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they, yeah, they never had another hit without me. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, uh, I want to go into, let's talk about Five Young Men. Five Young Men was a, a, a inspiration for me. Five Young Men was something that I did that was personal to me. Mm-hmm. It was a, uh, that was very personal. Okay, yeah, Five Young Men, definitely a good group. They came out with the single One More Chance, and I remember them performing that on All Day and seeing them perform on Bobby Jones Gospel several times. Actually, my cousin on my mama's side, her cousin on her dad's side was actually a member of the group. Oh, okay. Yeah, so kind of like like three or six degrees of separation. Now, what was your take on Luke Perlman when he basically took a, took a page out of your playbook and created Backstreet Boys and NSYNC after leasing a jet to New Kids, Transcon, which was his company, and then he said, okay, let me go ahead and do this, and um, he went and created Backstreet Boys and later NSYNC. Mm-hmm. Well, well I, 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 anybody who can, can make it in this business, I take my hat off to them because it's not easy. It, it, it's not easy, so if you can... He spent five, ten million dollars. I spent a hundred thousand with new kids. Uh, he had to go to Germany, spend ten million uh, between the two groups. I stayed in America and spent a hundred thousand. So, um, not everybody can break a group here in America. There'd been no boy bands, only one, and they did. They probably did one percent of what we did, and that was Old Town, I believe, who was broke in, in America. But other other than Old Town, everybody else was broken, like Europe and uh, and, and Switzerland or somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because not everybody knew how to break a group in America. So, uh, but I've been breaking groups in America for the last twenty, thirty years. Right, and that was going to lead me to my next question. With Bastard Boys and Instinct, like you stated, boy bands like that, they go to overseas first before they come back over here in the states. Why do you think okay, it well, is? Hold that, hold that, hold that thought. Okay, go ahead. Okay, why do you think it's so easier? And, and I got I got to end in a few minutes because uh, I got some calls I got to make before this place closes at five o'clock. Okay, why do you think it's so easier overseas to break a pop act than over here in the states? Well, because you you got to be real clever in America, and uh, I, I've had the uh, had the ability to take unknown acts, take them to the shots all day long. I just don't tell anybody my ingredients. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's just something I know how to do what I do. Right. Yeah, so basically the ingredients on how to make a good group is locked up like the kernels, all 11 herbs and spices. Only you, you know got the recipe. Right. The general got it locked up. Yes, yes, he does. Now, 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 now... Going back to your question earlier about one of the new kids saying, why is he wearing a general's uniform? It's just like somebody. Ain't nobody ever told the colonel to take off the, the Kentucky Fried Chicken uniform. Mm-hmm. Right. Nobody told Elvis never told the uh, colonel to stop wearing his uh, colonel hat. Mm. 
Now, what what is what is your? And they didn't say and they didn't say anything till they got filthy rich. Right. Before that, they were like, "Hey, keep it on." Okay, but well, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Now, what was your take on seeing that second wave of the teen pop phenomenon in the late '90s, early 2000s, when you pretty much was around and had a hand in it the first go round? Well, it was good because I wasn't really thinking about it. I was I was on to the gospel group Five Young Men, so I was into that. I wasn't thinking about what what um what people thought. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't I didn't care. I had uh my gospel going, I was deep into that. And um you know, I was good. Mm-hmm. I was good to go. Okay, now who are some of the acts that you are currently working with now? Right now, uh I I am gonna do another gospel group, but not not yet. But I am. I'm just putting all my thoughts and everything together now. Because I'd love to have another group like Five Young Men. They were phenomenal. Um, I would say just the uh, Heartbeat Boys. I'm also working with uh, Big Faith, a, a uh, young white rapper. Okay. And uh, but as for his boy bands, the next group is um, uh, what did I say the name of it was? The Heartbeat, Heartbeat Boys. Boys. <laughs> Out of Orlando. Okay. <laughs> well, they right. They want to beat me up, but I'm glad they like ten. 12, 13, 14, so 15. They can't beat me up too bad. Right. Okay. And I'm going to get you out of here on this one. What, what, what is your, you know, thinking when you see New Edition still going strong in the game and almost every R&B and pop group is patterning themselves after them and new kids still, you know, getting the respect that they deserve and you pretty much had a hand in creating two generations or discovering, creating and discovering two generations worth mm-hmm. of pop and R&B groups from New Edition and New Kids. Well, I'm very happy for them. Uh, New Edition are my friends. We uh, talk all the time. Well, I haven't talked to him lately since he did the thing with Puffy, but while he was doing it, I talked to him, Michael Bivens, and I should be expecting a call from him any time now. He's a very good friend of mine, and uh, I talked to the guys. I talked to Ralph. I just talked to him last month. I talked to uh, Ronnie. I had uh, lunch with Ronnie in uh, Atlanta a few months back. Um so, so yeah, I, I talk to him. I see Ricky. Um, uh, who else is left? Bobby. I see Bobby from time to time. I went to one of his wild parties. I, <laughs> I had to leave leave early because uh, he went to a level that I wasn't ready for. Right. But, um, but yeah, I see him. And, and of course, Johnny. And, oh, that's right. And I did a few months back. I did Tom Joyner with the guys. We all did that together. Okay. So, Mm-hmm. All right. Now, do you have any shout-outs that you want to give before we conclude this interview? Any shout-outs? Um, not, not, not really. Just I give a shout-out to everybody. All right. You know, a lot, a lot of people helped me along the way, and and uh, just let them know. Just go ahead and play the new Big Face because he's back to number two on the charts again this week. And uh, also let them know that uh, while they're listening to Big Face, you know, play him a few times, um, that um, – the new Heartbeat Boys is on the way. Okay. So they get, they get ready for one more um, big-time uh, boy band. But uh, this one's about love, peace, and happiness. All right. that That's what's up. Ladies and gentlemen, Time Machine Super Exclusive. Maurice Starr, the creator of New Kids on the Block and the man responsible for discovering New Edition. Mr. Starr, thank you for doing this interview and hang on the line.